My next guest on the Tea Time sofa is world-renowned sculptor and ambassador for art, Guy Portelli, who famously went into the Dragon's Den in 2008 to put a value on contemporary sculpture. Born in South Africa, he shares his journey from working in advertising and at the BBC on shows such as Doctor Who to becoming a classical sculptor. Recently, he has put together an art investment scheme to support artists and value their work. Guy has experienced the highs of working with some of the greatest talents in art and music. Let's find out more. Well, welcome to Tea Time with me, Ali Monjak. Guy, how are you? Well, great. So this lockdown suits me and my work, you know, being able to get on without too many distractions. But you are, you know, regularly used to having exhibitions as well, though, aren't you? So, I mean, that must be quite hard. You were up for doing, wasn't it, 50 years of, of the... Yeah. The Isle of Wight Festival, isn't it? Yeah, yeah we, we just about squeezed that show in last summer um, at Masterpiece Gallery. Um, and um, Alex from Masterpiece had just phoned me just 10 minutes ago to say, can we take some pieces out to Dubai? So suddenly I'm boxing and packaging and polishing pieces to go out there. So one door closes, another door opens. Um, I'm always engaged with, with some project or another. That was a really interesting exhibition which you did manage to, to go ahead with on the Isle of Wight. But, I mean, it wasn't quite as you planned, was it, really? No, because it was targeted to a very defined audience, in a way. The, the people who were very interested came. We couldn't have a private view, which would have been great it was very much make appointments come but really interesting people came through the door lots of musicians who performed were very excited to see their handprints on the panel and um, see the work and that's what I like I like that interaction with people I like um, I like community projects where a lot of people are putting small parts into it that it, that it appeals to me yeah, I mean, you, you've done lots of sculptures in community areas. I mean, uh, uh, your, your, one of your famous pieces to do with the lavender um, in on one of the London boroughs, haven't you? And, yeah, you know, the thing that really illustrates my thinking is when I was young, I wanted to be an archaeologist. Um, but now I make the pieces I would have liked to have found. So that sort of illustrates really where I'm coming from. So a lot of my work, if you found it in Tutankhamun's tomb, it wouldn't look out of place. I like to create contemporary work, but it have to be fixed in some historical connection. And with, uh, with Wallington, I, I really had to search for what was the, the right subject. I mean, like they, Sainsbury's were asked to put a piece and they just allocated the space. And um, talking to a historian, he, he said to me, what about the Lavender? And I said, well, what Lavender? And he said, well, this area was, Mitcham Lavender was the most famous Lavender fields in the world. And that, the Lavender was brought over by the Romans. Um, of course, all that Lavender then moved to Norfolk when that land became very valuable. 
And of course, it's lost. But since I put the sculpture there, um, the parks have grown lavender and the Christmas decorations are all lavender. You know, it's just sort of reinstated the importance. And, and what I liked about that was the old people would come along and they would talk about the lavender while I was sort of installing the sculpture. But then the young people would come along and say, well, what's this about? And then you say, well, about the lavender fields, which they knew nothing about. And that's what I think art should do. Art should make, introduce people to questions and um open up conversation most of my work does that in one form or another and with the mosaicing including mosaic it can at least it's been erased you can put little symbols in there and of course mosaic goes back thousands of years so it's a historical art form but done in a very contemporary way it it really is i mean it is fascinating and also you said it it, it draws people in and it enables conversations and connection with people mm. which is great and i mean you've had such an extensive career though haven't you i mean it was in 2008 that you actually pitched in the Dragon's Den for your pop icons at the time, wasn't it? I was sort of frustrated that my um, career wasn't moving fast enough. I mean, I was very well represented. I had, you know, uh, Robert Bowman Gallery was representing me on, on the world stage, I mean, taking my work to America. But um, I don't know, I just woke up one morning and just thought, why not try? Because if you you can always pitch an idea and, and refuse and turn it down. You can always say, well, I'm, I don't want to do it. But um, it was fascinating. But what it did was, uh, for me, opened up this whole platform of me as an arts ambassador, whereas I became a spokesperson for the arts industry and a spokesperson for artists. And, and, and I like that. I mean, I like um that artists can be seen to be accessible because i mean most people know a painter but most people don't know a sculptor they, they don't even know we exist um and yet there's quite a lot of us feeling away trying to do our thing and earning living out of doing it so you know to actually be on television and have an audience of millions of people um, which is also quite frightening because, I mean, the day after my TV programme came out, I walked into Tumbridge High Street thinking that I could do that. And the whole town just stopped. I mean, all the cars stopped. It was, it was like being a Beatle for, for, for about three weeks. You know, just the world, wherever I went, the world would just just stop. Stop in your tra in their tracks. And you like, have ah! a decision. Do you run home and hide or do you just keep going out dealing with it? But it was quite interesting. Um, the power of the television is incredible. Yeah, the, the power of television is incredible. I, I know what you mean. I mean, um, I, I've worked, I've got background in TV and it, yeah, it is, it really does sink home to a lot of people. It's a very powerful tool to get messages across. Mm. Uh, you know, it, it really is. So, I mean, but, you know, you, you really, as you said, have become, because of that whole experience, you have become a, a huge art ambassador. And one of your recent things is to do with art investment, isn't it? Yeah, I've always been fascinated by the business of art, you know, not only the making of it, but actually financially how it works. And 
really art is a currency, you know, at the top level with your Picassos and your Andy Warhols. This is a currency as good as pound notes. And that's why it succeeds. But unfortunately, that sense of, of it being a currency doesn't come down to the middle market in the way that it should. Um, you know, it, it's always hard to put financial values on art because we make it because we love to make it. But, um, but in reality, um, things are expensive. And if the client is wanting to buy a £10,000 sculpture, that, you know, they will at some point think, well, what happens if I want to sell it? And if they find that actually the market doesn't exist for them to, to resell, then it's a hurdle for them to jump. And um, I'm trying to, well, create a platform on which you could say that you set in place the potential for reselling at the, at the point of purchase. That's my sort of philosophy. So a person can buy it and think, well, if they want to sell it in five years, they can sell it and they can get either all their money back or more in a profit. Um, and that would just facilitate all of us earning a, a, need, a living um, because at the moment it's very hard for artists to actually make a living of any type. Um, yeah, I mean, I'd, I completely understand that, that, that thought. And obviously, as you said, you know, we are in an economic situation because of the global pandemic where you know, we're all having to try and do other things as well. Um, and it is a very difficult situation. I mean, I, I recently interviewed um, Mike Holloway, who's been in the entertainment industry for 45 years. And, you know, he's disgusted by people like Rishi Sunak for actually having to say to people in the entertainment industry, well, you need to go and retrain. Well, what do they do? Well, I mean, civilization is measured really by the arts. I mean, what we leave behind of our period of time is playwriting, is film, is art. And it's, it's a pretty poor situation if the people who are doing that on behalf of all of us are not able to earn a basic living. I mean, none, you know, none of us do it to earn a fortune. We do it just just to perpetuate the cycle of creation and to have that freedom to create. And, and um, you know, we not all want to be millionaires or billionaires, but we just want society to, to respect our input and value the input. Yeah, I mean, you know, to, to going back to sort of drawing a, a parallel with that and, um, you know, entering the, the dragon's den to actually pitch artwork to, you know, business people at a top level, you know, how did you make that leap? Well, in a way, that leap had been happening for 20 or 30 years because I didn't go through the fine arts route. I studied interior design. I then moved to theatre design. I then uh, worked with BBC doing special effects. Mm. Um, and then I was basically making models for the advertising industry for many years, up to about 1985. I was, I was creating, you know, Greek temples or 
whatever, do whatever the art director wanted. So I was, I was cutting my teeth and learning my trade through that route. But at the same time, I also realized that it's one thing to produce good artwork, but actually if you don't get out there and sell it, you don't get out there and market yourself, it's going nowhere. You know, you, you have to get the balance. And so my time working with photographers and advertising agencies, I was learning to be more than just a fine artist. Um, so, I, so I found with really with the Dragon's Den, all those things came to bear at one point. But I'd also sold more than a million pounds worth of sculpture when I went on Dragon's Den. I mean, albeit over 20 years, but you know, I did have these figures. I was already quite successful. Um, so I wasn't going in sort of green. I was going in saying, well, I've already achieved this level, but actually now with your help, I can move up to another level. I think that's what sort of surprised them really. Um, and probably surprised me as well. It's a huge achievement. You, know, you are recognized in the field for your work. You really are. Although I, you say, I understand what you're saying in terms of not everybody knows who sculptors are, you know, but you are somebody who is predominantly does stand out in your world. I mean, I like the fact that um, people can relate to what I do. I'm not, I'm not putting things out there that go over people's heads. I mean, my idea of a piece of art is that you should be sort of seduced by it from a distance. And then as you get closer, more layers reveal themselves. And then there's, there's a layer that they won't ever find because it's so deep in there. But unless I explain that, uh, you know, that means this and this means that. And I like symbolism. Um, but I think doing things with historical connections, it's, you're not just placing a, a giant egg because you make giant eggs. You know, I do, every one of my sculptures looks different because I start from the point of a, well, what is the site? What is the history of the site? What do I want to say about it? How can I engage with the community? So, you know, I'm, that sort of interior design side of me comes out because researching projects really fascinates me. And with the pop icons, each one of those pieces, I mean, once I had done, you know, once I succeeded in the, the Dragon's Den, I had to turn up 10, 10 or 12 sculptures in that year, 10 or 12 fairly major pieces, which is one a month. So, you know, huge pressure, plus all the research of, um, so it's sort of leapfrogging. So I'd have one project at the beginning where I was researching, one project halfway through, and one project completing in the workshop. Um, but the research, because, you know, if you do a Frank Sinatra sculpture, there's going to be people out there who are far more knowledgeable on the subject than I am. So if you make a mistake, they're going to pick you up. They're going to say, no, that's the wrong date, or he didn't wear those shoes, or that's the wrong jacket. He, you know, he do double-breasted jacket, not a single-breasted jacket. It's that sort of detail that, that the connoisseurs are uh, sort of locked down in. That's the wrong guitar for that person. So you really have to get all those details right. But I, but I do enjoy that part of it. Um, mm -hmm. And, I, and um, you know, that's where your create, creativity is. 
So creativity is at the beginning. Once you've actually designed it, then really it's just part of the process of creating it. But the creativity is in the first, the first two or three sketches that you do. Yeah. No, no, I, I, I can understand that. I mean, you, you've done some amazing pop icons. I mean, who was your favourite or do you not already have a favourite? I mean, was it Elton John, the Spice Girls? Well, I put it down into sort of two or three categories. Um, pieces that I think of as high art, which exceed my expectations in terms of the concept, the execution, the final piece. Um, the Sex Pistol sculpture is, is a piece that I think really stands head and shoulders above some of the other pieces. There's so many dimensions to it. It's, it's called post-punk. It's about how punk has massive influence on everything from filmmaking to advertising to the way a young generation think. You know, it's more than just, even though possibly the music is not to everyone's taste, the influence that it had was, was massive. And that's what I was trying to get across in that, in that sculpture. Um, so that's one I always feel a strong affinity to. Um, you know, the, the John Lennon, which is, you know, I'm sending that to Dubai next week. I mean, that's done me, that's looked after me very well. You know, we, it's been a, a very popular piece. It's a, it fits into the domestic environment. I mean, a lot of your work, you might never sell it because it's really museum work, not domestic. Mm. Uh, but you have to make those museum pieces in order for your domestic work to, to have some credibility. When you say it's going out to Dubai next week, is it going into a gallery situation or has somebody purchased it? Um, that, that's going to a gallery. Um, Masterpiece have got a big exhibition of Picasso plates, silver, silver plates at the moment. And because this gallery has been locked down in London for a long time, they've, they've taken space in Dubai. So they're shipping the Picasso exhibition to Dubai. And then they phone up and say, Guy, we'd like to take a couple of your pieces. So, you know, that's very nice for me to be alongside the Picasso exhibition. You know, it gives, gives my work. The, the stature as well. So that's, um, you know, these opportunities, the f telephone rings and suddenly you're doing something unexpected. Which is good in a way because, you know, we're, we are in the, the throes of lockdown here, aren't we? And um, <laughs> the chance of, uh, of us going to a gallery sometime soon is very minimal. To know that your work is going out to another gallery in another country where people can actually physically see it because... Yeah, I've always been taught since I was young, I've, you know, always loved art and going to galleries. Every time I travel to a different city, I always go to the, the art galleries. And, um, you know, it's, it, it's, you build up a sort of relationship, don't you, with, with pieces of art. I really do think that. And also with the artists. I've always tried to do my bit to support some of the great artists I've met over the years, whether they be, I mean, I try, you know, normally be packing my bags to go to Africa for a month now to, to paint. And, you know, and I always bring back paintings by African artists. And yeah, 
I'm an artist who really enjoys the work of other people. And if I see talent, I want to promote it. I want to say, oh, like, I can introduce you to that gallery or I can, I'm doing this show, would you like to get involved? So um, not only am I making art, but I'm very actively involved in trying to make the, make the art world more exciting within my region. Well, you certainly do that, Guy. I mean, you know, I've, I've seen a lot of, of the stuff you've done only online, really. But, um, I mean, it, you know, you are, you sort of combine a lot of music and art and um, projects. And, you know, you're always doing something, always, every um, year. You're always, you know, thinking of the next idea, aren't you, to put into an art yeah. gallery for people yeah. to come and see. I mean, yeah. at the moment, you're actually working on a project very close to home that's to do with art in, in the middle of the community. So talk about that. Well, um, a friend of mine bought the old fire station in Tunbridge, which is a, a, a wonderful um, building, one of the great buildings of the town, uh, built in 1901. And um, he just texted me and said, Guy, I'm not sure what to do with it. He was thinking of selling, then pulled back and thought, well, it's, it's, you know, if I sell it, I'm never going to replace it. And so he contacted me and said, Guy, have you got any ideas? And of course, I, I had a few. And so we're now uh, converting the Tunbridge Fire Station into what would be a fantastic arts venue. And it will give me the opportunity to bring in, you know, international artists as well. You know some of those African artists, some you know, it will be an internationally venue and because it's not focused on selling, it's focused on being a, an arts venue. Um, because fortunately, with, with Richard on board, it's not a case of, you know, of it needs to earn money, it's just a case of we need to do something good with it, and that frees me up to bring in some, some really exciting exhibitions and all those artists that I loved and supported over the years i will actually have another venue to say well let's do something in tunbridge and i i think um for me that's it's a really nice thing to do um and i i've always looked outside of tunbridge i've always looked for london new york but actually to do something on your doorstep that enriches the local community um is, is very exciting yeah, it is. So I, I think it is. And I think, you know, partly would you say, I mean, it, it seems to be a lot for, the same for a lot of people right now is the fact that, um, you know, we have had to have lockdowns. We've had to be based at home, which we would never have really been done before. And, you know, it, it's kind of made us all look at our communities, hasn't it? You know, our local community, how we can help in the community, what we can bring to add value to our community. And I think in your case, you definitely are, you know, out to out to paint the town green, aren't you? Um, well, funny enough, the, the, the sculpture I've worked on for the last six weeks, uh, because I'm sort of between, I'm just waiting for a big pro project to start. Um, and I had a few weeks between these these projects, and I thought, well, 
I'd like to do something for me. And one of my favorite albums is Kind of Blue by Miles Davis, which was done in 1959. It's an absolute classic. I mean, I, when I clicked on one of the tracks, it had something like 57 million hits on, on that track. Um, and for the first time, I'm taking, instead of a musician interpreting, I'm taking a, an album and creating artwork based on the album. Um, and using some of the musical notation as well, the, 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 um, the, some of the solo pieces are actually represented. Through. So it's very multi-layered and I'm really enjoying it because it's, it's quite, it's sort of five feet long by two foot wide. So it's quite manageable size. It's not massive. But um, it's really given me a chance to research some of those great musicians. Um, uh, John Coltrane. I mean, what's happened with that album is they got, you know, the best musicians of the time together. And they filmed, they recorded the whole album in two days. Um, and that anniversary will come up in a couple of months' time. So I'll get the piece finished. I, I quite like creating something that will hit with an anniversary. Without the hassle of being constantly on the road taking exhibitions. I mean, you know, it's two or three years ago, I was probably doing, you know, seven or eight exhibitions a year. And, uh, and across the globe, really, not. not yeah, just, I mean, this time last year, I was out in Florida with uh, the Prince sculpture. Um, I did enjoy that. I mean, I did enjoy, uh, you know, being, being in Miami for with all the big art fairs and, you know, now planning, go back and do that again. But um, I've now got two or three different vehicles, you know, because we've got this, the Tumbridge venue called The Escape. And The Escape is great because The Escape was the name of the fire engine. Oh, wow. um, and now he's calling it The Escape Art Centre. So it's, it's historically connected, but it's a very contemporary feel. With, with a lot of mileage within the title. So, um, you know, we could actually take that to do our fairs in America. We could, we could take the escape project and go around the world and, and do our fairs, which, which should be great. Yeah, yeah, and, and something to look forward to when we're, you know, back, back on the road again, all of us. So yeah. you've worked with lots of different people, haven't you? I mean, can you yeah. name a few people that you've thought... Yeah. This has been I, Well, I know that you interviewed Johannes, Johannes von Sturm. I mean, to me, he's just, you know, one of the best sculptors around. I mean, he's in ev on every level, professionally, um, creatively. You know, he, I mean, he's such a, a great ambassador for, for the profession. Um, and that's just such a lovely character and personality. I mean, I've been fortunate to sit on, you know, I've been vice president of the RBA, I've sat on council for all Sotheby sculptors. I, I have sat on these committees, so I've got to meet a lot of people, um, both painters and, and sculptors. And that gives me a, a fantastic network to pull people together. And I like doing, I mean, a group show of four or five artists. Um, there's a fantastic artist in Rye, um, um, 
Matt Hardman, who I've been following for, for, for many years, and I've, I'm now exhibiting some of his work. Um, there's Fig uh, down in um, Taunton, great sculptor, great character. Um, I really like to see young talent, you know, and, um, and be able to just say, well, you've got this far, now let's, let's see if we can open this door and, 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 and promote you. Because the, the, the big galleries in London, you know, they, they already have their complement of artists. They're not really looking for more. No. So it doesn't allow the younger generation. And because so many artists, you know, are, are working into their 80s, there's not really the opportunities for the young ones to, to get in and get exhibitions, get spaces. So your art investment project, I mean, obviously that, that covers artists all over the globe, does it? Well, what we do is we select roughly 10 artists a year. Um, and then we work very closely with them in developing their career. So we're finding artists are sort of undervalued in the marketplace and then giving them that infrastructure and that support to put them into the public domain. But um, it's a mainly online thing, but we do, we do have physical, you know, we do have exhibitions of the, of the work. But the, the great thing online is that, um, you know, somebody in Iceland can be looking at a website. You know, it's 99% of the world does not have access to great galleries. No. And so, you know, that's what you can do online. You can actually put, and what is happening is that I've, I spent 30 years traveling around and every now and then, I'll bump into somebody I think is just exceptional talent. And it's just really nice to have a platform on which to then say, okay, I can now. Um, and, and the ones with exceptional talents are not necessarily commercially viable. You know, they're, they're doing work that is not always accessible to the public. Mm. Um, and sometimes, you know, like with abstract work, you can't, people can't always measure what is really great, what is good and what is really great. It's a very fine line between the two. Um, and it's only by seeing a lot of it that you just go, well, that's got something special. I can't quantify it, but it's really got. Uh, and it's also the commitment, um, you know, of James Chinnery. Um, in Tunbridge Wells, who I've worked with, producing just the most amazing, detailed, delicate work using cut-out words, and and yet he is so engrossed in it that yeah. he almost doesn't want to share it with the public. It's it's an obsessive thing for him. But that's what people want. People want that that commitment. They want to see the artists suffering for their work. Yeah. Yes, no, I, I, I see what you mean. It, it, it is a journey, isn't it, with, with the, the public and artists, I think, you know, and how they connect or um, engage with each other. I, I think it really is, definitely. Um, yeah. 
So what was the first piece of art that you actually sold? And you thought, oh my goodness, I, I've actually sold a piece of art. <laughs> I suppose because I was um, earning my living by working in the commercial sphere, you know, and there was plenty of money in advertising back in the 1980s. I mean, so you didn't, I could really afford to do like one week's work in advertising and then have three weeks off to do other things. Um, the, the lesson for me came from my daughter, um, age seven, and she jumped into the car and, and she said to me, I've, I earned 25 pounds at school today. And I said, well, how did you do that? And she said, well, I make earrings and I sell them. And she opened her pencil case and she had all these earrings lined up. She says, I don't sell these, I take orders. And I, I just thought, she's so far ahead of me. She's got all her marketing, her designs, her, everything's lined up and I haven't done that. So I, I came home and I sat down and just looked at my, and I realized that making sculptures actually gave me the freedom because I was just always waiting for commission. But actually making, designing and making sculptures gave me control of my life because I could make sculptures over winter and then sell them through the summer rather than just waiting for the phone to ring. And so I started, and um, I've always been interested in birds in flight, bird shapes. So I started designing pieces um, and then I realized that I was born in Africa and I moved to England. And that is the journey that the swallows do. The swallows are born in Africa and they come to England. So mm. the swallow became my sort of signature. And so I started doing pieces for this sort of very sort of finely tuned swallow shapes and then, you know, having them. And they just sort of took off. People just loved, they loved the swallows. They loved the... Um, the elegance of it, and um, it was, and, and so initially, those pieces took off, and then that got me into galleries, and then gave me access to the market. Um, so in a way, I started off commercial and become less commercial as I've as I've gone on. Wow, I, I guess you know it, it. It's all about sort of growing and developing, isn't it, into your own brand yeah. as it were because you know we've all you, you've spoken about the marketing we've all got a brand haven't we you know we we are a brand so yeah. uh, you know whether you're an artist tv presenter whatever you are you are a brand so yeah uh, and you you are a very well-known brand as i said in your your area of um yeah, yeah. well um, i i realize the importance of of the that brand identity um and people need to look at the work and say oh well yeah that's a portelli you know they they need to be able to to identify it straight away um but to me it's a, it's a way of life you know i i do this because i love waking up in the morning and going to workshop and making things um yeah. everything else beyond that is a bonus Fantastic. Well, that that's great to hear. I mean, I know you you actually made a sculpture that uh, Ringo Starr has got, hasn't he? I made 
four nine foot pieces for Ringo. Um, he's now donated a replica of one of them to Beverly Hills Council um, for his 80th birthday. So that's really nice. Yeah. And um, he gave one to Paul McCartney as well. So, yeah, I mean, to go and spend time with somebody who's lived that life he's lived and sit in his front room and talk about the good old days of the Beatles was an experience I never thought I would live. You know, you don't... Don't expect to be phoned up and say, you know, Mr. And Mrs. Stark, you would like you to come to tea. Um, and then you're in and out there making sculptures, designing pieces. You see, people come to me with their dreams. Um, and then it's up to me to interpret that dream and to give them what they want. But of course, to actually deliver somebody's dreams is quite a tall order because the dreams are always so far, you know, beyond reality. Yeah. But that's what I find. People do come to me and say, I would really like this. And of course, it's in their head and you have to then, if you don't agree with the way they see it, you have to then sort of walk with them and take them to the place where that gets to be bigger than their preconception. And uh, it started off with one piece for Ringo, and then in the end we made four pieces. I always say we, because I find it very difficult to take all the credit. I mean, with what I do, you know, there's the foundry, there's the welding. There's so many people involved. Yeah, um, I understand that, yeah. And I, I don't like to be the person who stands up and says, well, I did this. Well, I'm like a film director. I take the blame or the credit if it goes wrong or if it goes right. But the team of people, my job is to put a team of people together that can deliver the project. Yeah. Because, you know, it's all about sort of building meshes and, and all sorts of things that go behind the sculptures. I mean, I fortunately, unfortunately, I've never been into your workshop, which, you know, I'd love to do at some point. That, that would be great. But um, I have actually been into a sculptures workshop and actually seen, you know, the team of people um, mm. putting together, you know, the, the pieces of metal or whatever else is holding up and the mesh and everything else that holds up the, the sculpture because, you know, without that, it wouldn't stand up, would it? So it's, it's, it's a mugs game, really. Um... You know, I, I would like to be a successful abstract painter and just um, spend time applying paint to canvas. Yeah, somehow I, I don't believe you. <laughs> well, yeah. It, it, <laughs> life is meant to be difficult. Yes, no, and, and I understand, you know, from your personal experiences as well that you have had a difficult time of it, so sadly. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, I lost my son, age 13. You have to harness all that energy, all the frustration. You've got to turn it into something positive. Um, yeah, you know, life is life is hard for most people. You know, we're not none of us sail through life. You know, you hit you hit difficult times. 
but you've got to turn it into something positive if you can. And have you, are you doing stuff in his memory? I did a lot of work with the hospital, at Sandworth Children's Hospital, that um, looked after him for many years and were just great in, in supporting us as a family and, and great for Anthony. Um, so I've done, every time they build a new building, I, you know, I get called in to create a sculpture for it. Um, I do a lot of work with the schools. I mean, one of the most amazing projects I ever did was um, for the Hillview School locally, where Becky Erland, one of the girls, got killed in a coach crash. And I went in there and worked with the class to create a piece of art. Um, and I've never experienced the of, of being in a room with 30 girls who were all obviously very fond of Becky. I mean, she was obviously a really popular girl in the class. And we created the most amazing artwork. And I've just never seen the healing process work in that, in that way. And, and the power of art always amazes me um, in terms of harnessing emotion. And, um, and I, I think, you know, the, these things should be illustrated and put out there because um, we don't deal with these situations as, as create, constructively and creatively as we should do. To me, it's just a great privilege to be um, doing war memorials or things that engage engage people or whether it be Ringo's peace and love, whatever. You know, I'm I'm really pleased that I'm not just sitting here in the studio locked in my own little world, that I'm engaging with people and their memories and, and what's important to them as well. Their emotions, I think, you know, in, in uh, and helping them sometimes express their emotion because that's yeah. you know uh, art very much is um an expression or expressions of your different emotions isn't it well we live in a world where we're disconnected from the making of things i mean if you go back to 100 years ago or even 50 years ago you know the blacksmith in the town or the stonemason you would see these things happening we now live in a world where we don't see these things happening so we don't know how things are made which is probably why there's so many on the TV now that show you how things are made because actually there's a real craving, a real desire for people to see this, to see this. Um, yeah. And even the people who live in my road and walk up and down have very little idea of what takes place in the studio. And when they do come in, they, they're just totally amused that they've lived in this road for so many years and never aware that um, you know, Ringo Starr's hands being half a ton of bronze on a trolley being pushed up the alleyway or I'm walking in with the other white panel um, loading up sculptures into the, the sort of boot of the car. So, but um, uh, a few doors up, um, Mary has, looks after um, teenagers who are blind and they come down and they feel the sculptures. Oh, how lovely. Yeah, it's really, it's really nice to be 
integrated into the community in that way and have, um, um, I mean, I've got two sculptures in Tunbridge. I did a Kelly Holmes, sort of tribute to Kelly Holmes. You know, it's a, you know, a fantastic, it's a fantastic story, her success, age, you know, sort of, I think 37 when she sort of got her, her double gold. Um, and I've also done work with schools doing War Memorial. You know, I think, you know, Tunbridge is actually very rich with sculpture. And there's, we've got some great sculptors in the area. So it's, so it's really good. Um, One day, when we're all out of lockdown, <laughs> yeah. uh, we will be out of lockdown. Anyway, this come and visit us at the, the fire station when we open and uh, do our shows there. Because uh, it's just going to be such a, an amazing venue. Um, and it'll be, you know, it'll be food, it'll be, you know, drink, it'll be multifaceted, it won't just be the art on the walls, it won't be sterile, it will be interactive and we hope to do a few lectures and, you know, once you've got a space, you can do a lot with it. Um, and what I found is people just love to come and hear people talking, you know, just the traditional way of just having a, a novelist or a painter or something just talking about what they do in their life is really fascinating to, to a lot of people. Um, yeah, I agree so. with you. I agree with you, definitely. And and I think, you know, it, it's. I keep saying to people jokingly, you know, I hope you're resting up because <laughs> when we actually do get out and around again, it's be like an explosion when yeah, it's going to be like bees out of a beehive, isn't it? Everybody dashing out to find the flowers. You know? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, going here, there and everywhere. I'm going to say thank you for coming on Tea Time. It's been a real pleasure to have well, you on. Thank you Ali. And uh, look forward to getting you down to the studio at some point. Look forward to chatting with my next guest on the Tea Time sofa this time next Saturday. In the meantime, if you would love to get in touch about having a chat with me, you can reach me on teatime at forthenow.co.uk where you can find me on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram on Teatime with AM. Bye for now.